Good morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Join your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Berry, and Wyatt Teeter as we talked about college football, the NFL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike's Stupid Rules and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 109. Happy week two of college football. If you're anything like Alabama, you're starting this year strong. They have started 2-0 for the 19th consecutive season, which is the current best record in FBS. That's 19 seasons straight where they've started 2-0. Uh, they did almost get that streak broken this year, but they did pull through and beat Texas. Another record we I think we should talk about is uh, prior to this week, Nebraska was 214-0 in games played in Memorial Stadium where they scored at least 35 points. 11 of those 214 games were under former head coach Scott Frost. However, after Nebraska lost to Georgia Southern, an FCS team, 45 to 42 at home, they have now broken that streak or broken that record, I suppose, uh, for 35 points at the bare minimum. And if you'll notice, I did say former head coach Scott Frost. That's because he got fired uh, at the expense of, what, seven and a half million extra dollars uh, if Nebraska would have waited until the end of the month to fire him. So... Sounds like to me, some donor ponied up the money just to get rid of him to hopefully get Nebraska back on track. So, so his total buyout was what, fifteen million, right? I'd, I'd have to go look it up again. I did not. Uh... Georgia, that Georgia Southern game cost Nebraska in total sixteen point four two three million dollars because they paid Georgia Southern one point four two three million to lose. Yeah, that's that's a little rough. The, yeah, you that yeah yeah that's just not good. On a similar note to Alabama starting 2-0 for the 19th consecutive season, KU has started the season 2-0 for the first time in 11 years. The last time was 2009, and for the first time in I don't know how long, by beneficient, you know, happening to have the first Big 12 game weirdly in the second week of the season, uh, KU's also in first place in the Big 12 in God knows how long. Uh, if you know when the last time that was, Please tweet it at us because I couldn't find it. Very interesting. Probably 2008. I mean, the last time that they would have had an opportunity at that would have been that Orange Bowl season, right? With Mark Mangino as the head coach. 2008 would be what I assumed. I don't think their 2009 season was that good, but that's the last time they've been open 2-0. So it's been uh, 11 years since they didn't <laughs> lose one of their first two games. So put your, put your bets down now. KU, Big 12 champion, probably. Yeah, the Big 12 Big Twelve championship game is going to be Iowa State, KU, just like everybody predicted. I would love that. For hopefully the last time, I want to circle back to Nebraska real quick. Um, so his total buyout was $15 million, but it would drop to $7.5 million on October 1st. Since they let him go 19 days prior to that, that cost Nebraska amortized over those 19 days almost $400,000 a day to get rid of Scott Frost. Like, why not just wait? Yeah, like, right? what, what, what? No, you're not going to get any head coach to commit right. before the end of the regular season to coming to Nebraska. What did you gain by firing him now? Besides taking out your frustrations, were you really seven and a half million dollars frustrated? That's a lot of frustration. I can't imagine having no head coach really benefits your team for those, what, two, three weeks more than just waiting. Like, we all know it's going to happen. Prepare for it and deal with it then. Seems like a waste of money. Also, that has to hurt your feelings a little bit as Scott Frost. I just can't imagine that Scott Frost, like, who turned around UCF in two years, right, can't turn around Nebraska. That seems like it's a systemic issue with 
Nebraska itself, not a coaching issue. Well, if it was a systemic issue, they would make dumb decisions by like, you know, wasting seven plus million dollars for no reason. A box has been ticked. It's got to be boosters that forced it, right? You assume so. It's the only thing that makes sense. If you're a head coach right now, I get Nebraska's history, but right now, if you're a head coach, who would be Nebraska would be interested in? What is who is that a step up for? Right? I've heard Kentucky's coach is is Nebraska at this point really a step up from Kentucky football? No. Is it really a step up from Iowa State football? No, I don't think at this point. I saw an article about it, and the first two coaches listed were Iowa State because every single coaching vacancy is always Matt Campbell's going to leave, and then Lance Leipold. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, Kansas is head coach. He's been there for like two years. Two years? Okay. He was there last year. Okay. And this is his second year. But if you think you can capitalize off those two games and just bounce immediately and not deal with KU football, I could see that potentially being something. But I don't think he'll do that. I could see it being a better job than KU. But I was was just. I was reading a CBS Sports article, and it said that Matt Campbell might not be good enough for Nebraska. I couldn't help but laugh at that. That, that had to have been a, a satire article, right? I also laughed at that, yes. Especially when, when uh, I don't know who, like on three, we talked about a couple, I don't know, on one of our podcasts a long time ago, or not that long ago, a while ago, they, they had a whole like 15-minute segment on why Matt Campbell is the perfect fit for any coaching position. Because he's good at coaching football. That's it. And he's good at like developing a culture and changing what the narrative is for that program. Um, yeah. I mean, would Nebraska probably be a whole heck of a lot better off with Matt Campbell? Yes. But for Matt Campbell, go back to what he said. At, I don't know if many people saw it, but he, the final question in his postgame presser, uh, against Iowa, and we'll we'll get into the Iowa game too. Is he was talking about how he like his halftime speech uh, about the Gilbert sixth grade girls softball team? How he said, you know, if they can go out, score a couple runs, and then turn that thing around and go win the championship, why can't we go out in the second half and beat Iowa? Like this guy is invested now in you know, what Ames is and is Lincoln, Nebraska that much more appealing than what he has for himself in Ames right now, especially with some of the recruits that Iowa State has coming in next season. I mean, to have the kind of culture change that Matt Campbell's fostered at Iowa State, you have to have backing from your AD. And I don't know if Trev Alberts, I don't know a whole lot about him. He just started his AD for Nebraska in 2021. Would he have that kind of buy-in from the AD and, and for the other higher tiers at the university level? If you don't have that buy-in, you, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. You know Jamie buys in. Yes, he does. Best AD in the nation. Uh, yeah, exactly. Look how it turned out so far. I mean, what a turnaround from 2014-2015 to now. Mm-hmm. Three top coaches, in my opinion. I mean, not top five necessarily, but all men's, women's, and football, both, in my opinion, top-tier coaches. And dresser for wrestling. Yeah, and wrestling. well. Oh, yeah, wrestling, too. I don't know as much about that, but I know we have a good program. He's coach of the year two years ago. Whoever the cross-country coach is as well has also done very well. So, you know, there's a lot of great, great hires. Shout out to Jamie Pollard. Yeah, he's been incredible. Well, well, I don't know. So 
we'll we'll get into this Iowa game here. I don't know if I'd call it incredible, but they they got the job done. Ten to seven final in a game that was, you know, pretty much exactly like we all expected it to be. If we're mm-hmm. being honest, wasn't it? Yes, exactly like it. It was not pretty. I wouldn't even necessarily call it fun. No, <laughs> but it was a win. You you got the first win in the Cyhawk in six years. Um, you got it done. Huge win for the Cyclones. Um, ten to seven. Just, uh, just just go talk about the game. What are your thoughts? I know I've got thoughts, but I want to hear other people's as well. It definitely was pretty much exactly what we thought it would be. Uh, a slugfest. Iowa State would make a bunch of mistakes. Honestly, this game should have been 20 to 7. We had two turnovers in the end zone. Um, one of them definitely would have been a touchdown. The other probably a field goal. Um, Iowa's defense is great. We know that. Um, Iowa's def- offense is god-awful. We knew that. So it's almost hard to make judgments about our defensive or offensive performance because we know that they're outliers at both ends of those spectrums. But overall, it really fit the mold and the template of what we expect a Cyhawk game to be. And I'm just happy that we ended up on the right side of that. I agree it was a slugfest. I did expect at least a, a mildly higher level of football being played by both teams. In my opinion, I feel like both teams deserve to lose that. I mean, how can you fumble the ball in the end zone twice and then have, did we have an extra turnover too in the middle of the field of play in the red yep. zone, which was, I was only score. If I recall, was off of that interception in the first quarter. Like it was just garbage football all around. Don't get me wrong; I'm glad that it was a win, but man, it seems like both teams really deserved to. The the touchdown was actually off one of the two Iowa blocked punts. Um, we'll get more into that in a second, but yes, ah, that's right. We turned the ball over three times, twice in the end zone, had two punts blocked, and still managed to win the football game. You got to give the team credit for battling. Um, and staying in this game and, and really fighting and, uh, and and staying in it and winning this game. Um, Hunter Deckers and Xavier Hutchinson um, have been an awesome combination. Um, we all know what they did um, in week one against SEMO, but they, they went out and they did well again against Iowa considering um, the situation. Uh, Deckers had, oh, sorry, um, Hutchinson had 11 catches for 98 yards and a touchdown in that game which is another fantastic performance against a very, very tough defense. So that was, that was good to see. Um, the, rest of, the rest of the wide receiver core definitely left something to be desired. The next uh, leading receiver was Noel with 23 yards. Um, so you'd like to see a little bit more production out of everybody else. But that connection between Deckers and Hutchinson is strong. Huge shout-out to Jirel Brock as well. Second game over 100 yards. Uh, really stepping in for what we thought might be a big hole when we lost Brees Hall. He's done really well so far this year. Give him credit for bouncing back from that 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 fumble early um, to be able to still have a good game. And credit for him for holding on to the ball late in the game after the Cyclones have taken the lead in pouring rain when we were just trying to, to run out the clock and feed him. Perks, props to him for hanging onto that football and not losing it and, and uh, letting us burn that clock. That was great. Uh, but the, the, the special teams, specifically the punting, was not great. And I guess the punting itself, when the punt was not blocked, I thought the punter did a great job, right? I mean, I thought he had a pretty good game with the exception of the blocked punts. I would say we actually, I mean, we seem to have a punter who's got a lot of promise and upside. 
Uh, it's just we need to we need to hold our blocks a little bit better so that he has some time to get it off. On the box score, it looks like we had two different people punt it. I didn't notice that during the game, but Tyler Perkins had three punts and Ben Garbarini had one punt. I don't know if that also had something to do with the blocks and trying to get it off a little bit faster. Maybe his kicking motion is a little bit quicker than Perkins. I don't know, but on those block punts, so on the first one, can somebody please tell me why Orion Vance is one of the backmen blocking on punts? Because he was the guy who got blown up on that first punt leading to the block. Like, Orion Vance, great linebacker, great player. Why is he blocking for punts? That doesn't make any sense. Can anybody tell me how that makes sense? It is a bit odd. I went back and, I went back and watched it today, and I was like, 34. That must be the other 34. There's no way we would put Vance out there. No, our other 34 is a white guy. That was Vance. Why was he out there? I, I don't get that. They, we did adjust and he was replaced with a lineman um, for the future, all the future punts. So that was an adjustment there. But then that lineman was taking a step back right before contact on all of the other ones. Don't you want – I'm not an expert on, on special teams, but don't you want that guy with just like – it le- like going forwards so he hits that block hard and is able to hold it i feel like they was just backing up and getting railroaded i guess maybe it shifts your weight to the back foot so you can plant i don't know i'm definitely not a you know lineman expert that's not something that it's really honestly hard to find good media coverage of that to learn about it but yeah right so to me none of these those pump blocks were on the the line they were all the line did what they were supposed to. They blocked the guys they were supposed to. They let through the guys they were supposed to. At least that's the way it looked to me. But then just the back man got blown up on both of them. Like, you just got to hold your blocks. Or maybe we just need to chip better at the line. I don't know. It looked like the line did their job and the back man just got blown up twice. He need, does he need to line up a yard further forward? I don't know. Possibly, but you would think this would all be a special teams coordinator needing to get in there and fix these issues right which we do have now so um i don't know it's something to pay attention to going into the big 12 season uh as well because you know games like that where you have that many blocks that many turnovers uh in a game against a capable offense is not going to end up well for the cyclones i mean that let Let's be fair. That offense is just absolutely abysmal, right? Uh, Spencer Petras or whatever, over his last eight games, he has nine interceptions and one touchdown pass. How is that a starting quarterback in college? Like, does Kirk Ferentz just absolutely hate their backup? Like, do they even have a backup? I think at this point we should be asking if Kirk Ferentz hates Spencer Petras because he's just leaving him in there to get booed mercilessly by the home team, and then right after the game, just puts him in front of the media. I'm like, you don't put that guy in front of the media after he just had that game in a rivalry game. Put somebody else out there. I don't know. I didn't like that. Obviously, he's been terrible. He gave really good answers. I'll give him credit for that, because I was watching on the Big Ten Network, so they were covering that. But, ooh, he looks bad. Just, just bad. Basically, every non-screen pass that was um, outside the hashes was incomplete and it was high. I like you, you should be able to fix that. It seems like it's got to be mechanical, right? I, I mean, in the broadcast, they were talking about it a lot, how uh, 
you know, a lot of the times when he misses, it seems to be high. So what does that mean if you're a quarterback? Well, you're not stepping into the pass and really driving the ball towards your receiver, towards the target, which keeps the ball more within the catch radius for those receivers, giving them a better chance. Um, Now, to be fair, he did have a pretty good throw at the end of the game uh, when they were trying to drive on the Cyclones, and then the receiver just absolutely dropped it. Uh, to the receivers, you know, coming to his defense, it was pouring rain and the ball was really slippery at that point, I'm sure. Uh, but, you know, that was actually one that it looked like he stepped into the ball or stepped into the throw and drove it. So it just seems like he's trying to float the ball out there a lot, which screams that he lacks a ton of confidence, which how could you have any confidence when you have nine interceptions and one touchdown pass in your last eight games? Also, isn't Ference's son in charge of offense and quarterbacks yes maybe he's not good at his job maybe nebraska will hire him (laughs) yeah yeah you you gotta wonder i mean and the depth chart came out for this next game too and and peaches is still the number one quarterback even after this performance they're like yeah we're good we'll do it again like figure it out defense you have to you have to allow zero points yeah just you have to score all of the points yeah we only score on defense. Iowa is so lucky right now that they're one and one and not zero and two. Yeah, that's true. But it'll be fun to watch them waste a fantastic defense this year with not knowing how to play offense and an all-American punter. <laughs> yeah, I love it when they start cheering and clapping because the punter comes on. That's how you know your offense is bad. And, and that punter didn't even have a fantastic game. I mean, he had one punt at the. Five one where the Otona got tackled at the fifteen. Other than that, didn't have that great of a game. I didn't think so. The one time we were backed up at the one before the ninety-nine yard uh, game-winning touchdown drive was because Iowa fumbled inside the one. So that wasn't uh, the punter this time. So. What a drive there too! Twenty-one yards, twelve minutes. That's insane. That's most of a quarter. Like that does not happen. That's not Iowa State football typically. I want it to be. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It's stressful, all those third downs. <laughs> yeah. We got bailed out. I will say that. That that flag in like on the 20 when we were driving that time where they said it was like unnecessary the, roughness the when they pushed him out. Yeah, that was not a late hit. Totally fine. It looked a lot worse live than it did on yes. replay. I, will I, didn't say. Even think it, I didn't even think it looked bad live, honestly. But that you was know, one of the ones where I saw it we happen. Lucky. And like immediately, that's one of those late hits that you see called by some crews. And I hate it. I, I understand where they're coming from. Like he was obviously going to be out, even though he wasn't out. But you got to let him like you got to make a play there. What do you do? Like I've seen that called so many times. I also don't think that it helps that at Iowa, your sideline, that bench area is super small. It's tight. Uh, it's similar to the Oklahoma State uh, sideline where it, there's just not a lot of space. If you're at Iowa State playing in Jack Trice, you know, you have a lot more room over there where maybe it doesn't look as bad. Uh, I think it was just a lot of scenarios where real time, I thought it, I thought they were probably going to throw a flag there, which they did. But I was also like, man, there is not a lot of space over there. So him hitting a bunch of players like a bowling ball made it look worse than it actually was. But, I mean, some of the questionable calls went both ways. The Cyclones got called for an ineligible man downfield um, in the first half. 
before before their fumble inside the one that was a, a bad call. The pass didn't go past the line of scrimmage. A pass that does not go past the line of scrimmage, you can't get called for an eligible man downfield. I'm correct about that, right, Wyatt? You are correct. The pass has to go across the neutral zone. Which it did not. The, the, the ball hit the ground behind the line of scrimmage. You can't get an eligible man downfield. Granted, Iowa declined, so it didn't matter. But still, that was a, that was a bad call. I was yelling at the TV at that one. Can't call that Also, penalty. re-watching that one play when offsides was called on number three, I wasn't entirely live. I was like, I think he's offsides. At, at the beginning of the play, but then when you go back and actually watch the tape and see the snap, it seems like he timed it extraordinarily well. He, at the end of the game? Yes. He lined up offsides, I thought. He, he was way yeah. in front of every other lineman. The, the camera angle off the tape is really weird, too. I think he was Oh, that could have been... It could have been the, the camera angle that I saw. He, he was offsides, yeah. I, I called that one live. I was like, ah, he's offsides. But speaking of that... that You've got to have better bench discipline there. Taking yeah. that 15-yard penalty. That's right? terrible. There, were, there wasn't zeros on the clock, right? Even if Iowa State had recovered that fumble, the game was not over, right? That was going to be a 15-yard penalty on Iowa State regardless of the offsides because the clock had not hit zero. you got to stay on the bench until the clock hits zero. That is totally unacceptable. And I didn't go back to watch. I don't know if anybody saw who that was or who or what group, but I hope they have to run for that one because that was terrible and it nearly cost us a game. It was a lot of the wide receivers. Am I am I crazy or did this happen last season? I feel like I remember this being called another game somewhat recently. That I'm not sure on. I don't remember off the top of my head. But like, you got to know that you can't go on the field to celebrate. Can't do it. Pretty straightforward. It's yeah, that was just frustrating. I was quite upset when we uh, when that happened, but in the end, we got it done because it's hard to kick a field goal in the rain. Um, other notes that I have: what what are you guys thoughts on all the uh, designed quarterback runs we had, especially in the end zone or in the red zone? Excuse me. I don't have a problem with it. He's a big guy. Um, they didn't work out that well in that game, but I think they have their place in our playbook. I'm happy to keep them open. Um, it, I didn't hate it. It was fine. Maybe a little bit less. He doesn't need to run nine times. I just don't. I think it's a little strange that a less mobile quarterback is doing that. I think it's a lot of carryover from, hey, this kind of worked with Brock Purdy. Let's see if it works with Deckers, where I'm not exactly sure it does. I think there is, you know, space for it occasionally. But like Ariane said, I, I'd probably limit that to like four or five times a game. I guess, depending on what you're seeing on tape. Yeah, I think at best he is in the the kind of Ben Roethlisberger quarterback type where he probably isn't going to run that much. But hopefully once he does, he runs fast enough and is big enough that he can just keep going. I mean, one of my concerns was it is that we were running. They were all under the short side in the red zone. That's that's not that's not a recipe for success running to the short side in the red zone. But. I don't know. He he looked fine running the ball, but he was better in scramble situations than in designed run situations, I thought. So, I don't know. We'll see. Like I said, Iowa is a great defense, so we shouldn't adjust the entire playbook based on what happened against the Iowa defense. 
But overall, Deckers was pretty good. He did have the one terrible interception um, to uh, trying to get Hutchinson um, in the end zone in double coverage. You just can't throw that ball into double coverage. You got to find something else to do with that ball. You can't throw it there, or just throw it at the back of the end zone over his head. And not to one of the best recruits in on Iowa's team this season, either. Like yeah, he's their was... top cover corner. You can't you can't throw that ball. Yeah, that one was tough. But the other interception, I don't really blame him for. That was a miscommunication between him and uh, and Noel. Uh, Noel cut inside, and Decker's thought he was going to cut outside. If they're on the same page either inside or outside, that's an easy first down on that third down play. But uh, they did they did different things, and it turned out to be an interception. But overall, not too bad. Um, defensive stars of the game definitely go to MJ Anderson, um, who I thought had a great game both in the run and run-stopping and pass rush. And Colby Reader, again, had a great game and was the Big 12 co-newcomer of the week. Anybody else have any thoughts on this game they want to share? Also, was just going to mention Colby Reader. Just over the past two games, has definitely been showing up recent a lot. I feel like in the call sheet on the tapes. So hopefully, you can keep that going. I've noticed him quite a few times. So he's having having a good season. Yeah, I think he was a massive pickup for that defense, uh, especially losing so much talent at the linebacker core. Um, I think it was a huge get by Campbell and the recruiting staff to go out and get him from Delaware. So good one, good one on the Cyclones there. And that's all I got. Also, both blocked punts were by the same guy, Lucas Van Ness. So maybe that guy's just really good at that. Who also had a sack. Yeah, he had a good day for himself. Special teams player of the week in the Big Ten um, for those two blocked punts. So next week, um, the schedule gets a little bit easier with one more non-conference game before conference play starts. The Cyclones will play Ohio. It's a 1 p.m. kickoff on ESPN+. Um, the Cyclones are 17.5-point favorites with a 95% chance to win per FPI. Um, Penn State just killed Ohio um, last week. Um, presumably, um, we'll do the same. That That's the expectation. 1 p.m. at Jack Joyce Stadium. I don't have any other keys to this game. Just go beat a bad team. Yep. Go win another one. Go into Big 12 play at 3-0. When was the last time we entered uh, conference play undefeated? Anybody know that one? Not in a while. Uh, before I was in school. And and maybe not even then, Ariane. So it would have been before 2013. Yeah, so it's been at least 10 years since Iowa State was undefeated um, entering conference play. So let's hope they can do that uh, this year by beating an Ohio team where they're more than two touchdown favorites. 1 p.m. on Saturday. There you go. There you have it. 2011. 2011. Same wow. year that KU went 2-0 to start the season. It was a, a fun year that year. They beat Northern Iowa 20-19. They beat Iowa 44-41 to in triple overtime. And then they beat Connecticut 24-20. to And then immediately lost four games straight. I have, I have 2012. I have a win against Tulsa. And then against oh, the sorry. Hawkeyes, and then Western Illinois, and then a loss to Tech. My fault. All good. I there you it was go. 11, 12, only 10 years. Only 10 years. And there you have it, folks. So Cyclones could start off better than maybe your favorite NFL team because 15 teams in the NFL this week are doing well. You're feeling like you still have a shot at the Super Bowl. 
15 other teams are like, man, we suck. And then two teams are like, well, we neither won nor lost, but I guess a tie is good until it comes back to bite you later on in the season. But it is the we are nearing the end of week one of the NFL season. It will be the end of the season or week one of the season. It will be the end of week one by the time we hit your beautiful ears. Uh, And we are going to overreact as most people do. Uh, to the team so highs lows and woes of week one getting into it you know the Chiefs the offseason was talk about you know oh the Chiefs lost Tyree Kill they're gonna be so lackluster on offense now uh Tyree Kill saying that two is the most accurate quarterback he's ever played with Sammy Watkins coming out and saying that Aaron Rodgers is on a different level than Patrick Mahomes well what does Patrick Mahomes go out and do? He uh, Pat throws for three hundred and nine or three hundred and sixty yards, five touchdown passes, uh, and the Chiefs' offense is humming again. Travis Kelsey was uh, the clear-cut favorite of Patrick Mahomes on the day: eight receptions, one hundred and twenty-one yards, one touchdown. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster got in there a couple times, albeit he did fumble twice. Uh, and that Chief Chiefs' offense had the bag of tricks wide open. Uh, Clyde Edwards, Alaire with a shovel pass as well. Another rushing touchdown for him, or another receiving touchdown for him as well. So two receiving touchdowns, uh, and the Chiefs look good again, and the defense was improved. So it'll be a tough, tough AFC West uh, slate for the Chiefs, but they're they're on a roll again. Tyree Kill no more, and I'll be or dare say that the Chiefs maybe are a little bit uh, tougher to defend with a higher quality level of receivers across the board. Uh, the LA chargers uh, had a good showing in a week one divisional game against the Raiders. Uh, the highlight here is the chargers revamped defense with Derek Carr or forcing Derek Carr into three interceptions. Although Derek Carr did have his favorite target in uh, Devonte Adams working in that game with over a hundred yards receiving. Uh, but the chargers get the win in a crucial uh, game uh, against a divisional opponent. Every single divisional game will be intense this year in the AFC West. Uh, highs. I mean, we're talking about all of the Vikings, Mike. What What did you what What was your to your liking this week that you saw out of your Vikings? Yeah, that was just a great game by the Vikings in general. I mean, you you kept Aaron Rodgers in check for pretty much the entire game. Um, you got pressure on him and you got some sacks. Justin Jefferson looked awesome in the uh, in the receiving game. Um, he looked with, with two touchdowns. The, the team just looked like it was clicking on all cylinders and playing fantastic, and that's what you like to see. It's good to get that first win against your division rival in week one. Just good to see. Yeah, get that, get that win and keep on moving. Uh, the Bills got the win and, and maybe caught – the Rams sleeping a little bit. The Rams just looked a little out of sorts. This whole game was out of sorts. Uh, a bunch of turnovers in this one. Josh Allen had what? Three interceptions. Matt Stafford had a pair of interceptions, uh, some costly fumbles for both teams, but the bills ended up coming out on top. And the one thing that I will note about the bills, having Von Miller there makes that defensive line a lot different. Uh, even though Von Miller is, you know, approaching the age of dirt, uh, he 
still is able to make it work, uh, signed that massive contract with the Bills, and that whole defensive line seems to be getting a lot of pressure, uh, at least early on in the season, against that Rams offensive line. So uh, Bills are a top team in the AFC, as everyone's been talking about this offseason. So anyone else with some, some highs uh, of the week in the NFL? Just excited that we got football back. It was a fun, fun week of football. Uh, we put out a tweet that just said this is the first time ever in NFL history, at least since we started tracking it in one week, that there have been five games where each team had a 90 percent or higher chance to win the game. So a lot of team games that went down to the buzzer, kicks, missed kicks, all that kind of stuff. Uh, just a fun week. It was nice to watch. Speaking of kicking, make sure you go hug your kicker or... You know, give them a high five if they did all right this week, because it was a tough week for specialists uh, in the NFL. Evan McPherson absolutely shanked a kick uh, in overtime that would have won the the Bengals their game. Uh, Chris Boswell hit one off the up, hit one off the upright. Not only did he sh- the shank the one in overtime that could have won it for him, also they missed uh, missed the extra point had it blocked. To Cincinnati's, I guess defense. Their uh, starting long snapper, which, you know, you typically only carry one of those on a roster because why carry a second one? Uh, He tore his bicep uh, pregame. So obviously he couldn't go. So their backup long snapper was in uh, and he was absolutely throwing those way too high uh, on the snap. So it was taking a long time and those extra seconds allow for, you know, the blockers to get through. Granted, Minka Fitzpatrick, there was a blocking issue up front. He was able to run right through. But yes, the Steelers did block the game-winning extra point uh, that basically all but ruined the Bengals' bid uh, for a comeback victory there. So, you know, that was a wild uh, divisional game week one uh, between the the Bengals and the Steelers. But kicking overall, uh, for some people, was abysmal. Um, Ryan Suckup missed a kick. uh, in the Sunday night game, um, you know, you had just, we'll get into it a little bit later, but you had a, a starting safety kicking for the Chiefs. And uh, obviously in the Colts-Texans game, there were some missed field goals that allowed that game to end in a tie as well. So speaking of the Colts and the Texans, the AFC South, uh, you know, no wins in the week and two of the teams played each other. So there was the tie between the the Texans and the Colts. The Jaguars had a bid to for a comeback victory against the Commanders uh, that fell short. And that AFC South division is looking like it could be up for grabs for anyone this season as the Tennessee Titans also dropped a game to the New York Giants that, that looked like they were playing with uh, some newfound uh, energy under it. New head coach Brian Dayball. So, so good win for him and his his coaching debut. Aaron Rodgers uh, probably will say that his low of the week is throwing to his group of Costco employees uh, for wide receiver. Um, that was a tough showing. Uh, a dropped touchdown uh, completion to uh, I don't even know his name Watson or something like that. Uh, just clearly missing Devonte Adams in Green Bay, but. Uh, as Arian has reminded me, Aaron Rodgers started the season pretty poorly last year uh, with a 38-3 to loss to the New Orleans Saints in Week 1 and came back to win 
his second MVP in a row. So it's still a long season. I will also say I heard I don't remember who it was on the broadcast. One of the announcers said that there was a big difference in when Patrick Mahomes found out that Tyreek Hill was not going to be there. He got all of his receivers together immediately. They worked out. They practiced all summer. You know, they spent a lot of time together to get that new chemistry without what used to be the backbone of their offense. And Aaron Rodgers showed up late to training camp and, I don't know, did whatever Aaron Rodgers was doing this offseason, which was psychedelics. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, It's not exactly the same level of effort. And I feel like Aaron Rodgers kind of came in with this. You guys have to do it to suit me rather than let's work together to get what we need to do. So right. I feel like he just needs to work with his receivers more. They, you're, they're your teammates, not your employees, man. Figure it out. He came out during training camp and basically said, yeah, there's there's a lot of mistakes. People running wrong routes, uh, going the wrong way, just a lot of mental errors. And if you keep dropping balls, you're not going to play. And early on in the in the uh, in training camp for the Chiefs, Marquez Valdez Scantling had some drop had had the drops uh, and Patrick Mahomes spent some extra time working with him and he turned it into four completions. Uh in a big spot a couple of times in the Chiefs game. So a big difference in personalities there. Uh, you know, Mahomes seems to, dare I say, be a little bit more hungry at this point in time. But we'll see. Back-to-back MVP Aaron Rodgers, but can't make it to a Super Bowl since a while ago. So I was going to say, Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers have the same amount of rings. That is so true. no excuse there from you, Aaron. You, don't earn, you haven't earned anything else. Speaking of people who have uh you know made life difficult for for some other people uh shout out to that scumbag tailgater in miami who ruined 12 other people's lives uh this week and and possibly tailgating for all fans around the nfl as they put a uh unattended grill underneath their car uh at the end of a tailgate creating a bomb essentially uh with the car uh the grill being the starter and the gasoline in the vehicle being the ignition uh yeah quite quite an issue and a scene down in miami gardens so they're all excited their team's back and and doing well and and now people come out and they're like oh oh man what happened to my car and can't can't have the best of both worlds there Moving on, we had some woes uh, in the NFL as well. Injuries headlined uh, the first week. TJ Watt seemed to come off the field saying, I tore my pec, I tore my pec. Uh, It is being reported that there is optimism that it might not be as bad as initially thought, uh, but it's either six weeks to a full season for TJ Watt, which is a massive blow for one of the the league's best uh, defenders, Um, arguably who started who was starting to have what, what looked like a potential defensive player of the year bid again this season. Uh, in Dallas, things aren't going super well. Uh, Dak Prescott uh, did undergo finger surgery on Monday, the 12th of September. Uh, the day after the Sunday night football game, he is expected to miss four to six weeks, but that is expected to be on the longer side. Uh, so look for him possibly to not return to the Cowboys until after their bye week. Elijah Mitchell, the top running back for San Francisco, uh, was injured and immediately ruled out. He will miss extended time. Uh, And as I alluded to earlier, Harrison Butker was injured on the first kickoff uh, for the Chiefs at the Arizona Cardinals. 
the grass seemed to be not ideal in Arizona. Uh, his plant foot slid. Uh, he landed on his ankle and said that it was immediately starting to swell up. They carted him back to the locker room. He did come back and have an impressive 54-yard field goal in which he basically took one step, planted, and then just did a leg swing and probably would have been good from 58. So impressive leg uh, for Harrison Bucker. But Justin Reed, the the starting safety for the Chiefs, ended up kicking an extra point and making one. He made one, uh, missed another one. <laughs> wide right uh but was booting uh kickoffs out out of the back of the end zone uh for the chiefs so what a nice luxury to have there uh the Bengals' offensive line looked horrible joe burrow has been sacked 24 times in his past four games uh so the Bengals are are not doing justice for joe burrow and they're trying to see that man's life be ended by all defensive linemen uh across the league and that that's a revamped of offensive line supposedly so yeah not great for cincinnati but they're getting an indoor practice facility so there's a highlight of the year for them and the bears swamp shout out to the guy who lost his popcorn uh because of the torrential downpour coming off of the upper deck but the bears were playing literally what it felt like in florida gators stadium during a hurricane in chicago that was the worst field conditions I think I've ever seen. Can anybody think of a game? I mean, where... when you are squeegeeing water off the field, I've never seen rain come down that hard. It literally looked like a monsoon. People were getting tackled. It looked like a slip and slide. People were literally just like every time they stepped, water splashed up past their knees. I don't know how anybody was going to do anything once the Bears took the lead and then it started coming down. I mean, the game's pretty much done because you're not throwing the ball. And if you throw the ball, you're not catching the ball. It's way too wet. I've never seen that before. The only game that I could think of that might have been worse was the all-out blizzard in Buffalo where the Colts played the Buffalo yeah. Bills and Adam Vinatieri went out to kick a 34-yard field goal, but they literally sent the offensive linemen out and were having to dig a area in the snow for him to at least get the ball down so that he could kick it. <laughs> There's also the literal blizzard last year between the Bills and the uh, Patriots, where the Patriots threw the ball literally three times the entire game. Yeah. But that's the only time I've seen it with rain and not snow. Anything that would be comparable is all snow. Yeah, that was that was something. And it led to uh, quite the interesting uh, situation that we'll talk about here in Mike's Stupid Rules. Yes, yeah, so the situation was, this was before the rain was pouring down quite as hard as it was at the end of the game, but it had been raining off and on for, it seems like, a couple of days in Chicago, so the field was just very soggy the entire time. So um, near the end of the first half, Chicago was coming out to kick a, um, a field goal at the end of the first half, and the holder brought out a towel from the sideline that he used to dry off the spot where he's going to put down the ball for the hold and then just sort of tossed it off towards the side of the play, um, which was called a 15-yard penalty um, on the field for, the, um, um, for using that towel. Now, using that towel is definitely um, against the rules, and you can find that in Rule 11, Section 4, Article 5, Foreign Articles. So this... this um, article is about um or this 
section is about field goals in general. And the rule says no article of any type may be placed on the field or used in any manner to assist a player in the execution of a field goal and or try attempt, right? So using that towel to dry off the field, right? Agreed. That seems illegal um, off that. Now, I'm not quite sure exactly why it was um, a 15-yard penalty because, again, that's, that's a rule where it doesn't list a specific penalty for doing that. So I'm not exactly sure why it was a penalty um, or what rule they got that penalty from, but it was clearly illegal. You're not allowed to do that. Um, so Wyatt, you've been doing some digging in the rule book this whole episode. Did you come to any conclusion here? I can tell you what it's not. And the general consensus seems across Twitter and, and the likes is that the penalty was due to the towel being too big or the wrong color or anything. Uh, rule five, section four, article six, item five defines what a towel can be in the field of play. However, if you have a towel that does not meet those specifications, that's only a five yard penalty. There's actually an approved ruling. Uh, for a holder bringing a towel onto the field prior to setting up for a, a try or a field goal and then throwing the towel onto the ground, um, which is what I think some people thought they got dinged on, but that's only a five-yard penalty. And it's also not Rule 13, um, This we'll just call it the snow removal rule from the 80s when uh, the Patriots and the Bills, and they brought the snow plows onto the field to plow the field uh, for a kicking attempt. That That is explicitly forbidden as well. And that is unsportsmanlike conduct, but it's only because it's impermissible for the grounds crew or other team personnel to clear away snow, uh, specifically for a try, field goal, punt, or kickoff. So the other thing that it could be is in the unsportsmanlike rules, there is a section that says it's unsportsmanlike to use any object as a prop or possess any foreign or extraneous objects that are not a part of the uniform on the field. So maybe they could get it with that. If all else fails, though, it's just a palpably unfair act, and they flagged him on that. The only reason why I kind of get hung up on saying this is a palpably unfair act is that the referee, when making the announcement to the stadium, said by rule it was illegal to do this, which it is, but what's the penalty for that rule, like you said, Mike? So I don't think there's anything specific here other than it's probably just technically if you're going to like break it down like as a lawyer – it's probably because it was a palpably unfair act because you're changing the surface or the conditions of the field of play. Okay. Thank you for filling us in on that. That makes sense to me because, yeah, I don't see anything explicitly on what the call could be. Um, but it wouldn't, isn't the result for a palpably unfair act that they just rectify the wrong that they think occurred? And in this case, they decided it was unsportsmanlike to do that, so they issued a UNS. I, I talked about this prior to the episode. In that case, why wouldn't you just consider a generic personal foul instead of an unsportsmanlike conduct. Cause there is a provision for um, uh, personal fouls that if anything doesn't fall discreetly in that personal fouls category or discreetly into the unsportsmanlike conduct category, then you can just issue it as a personal foul uh, unnamed. So I don't know, but very interesting. I would really like to hear a breakdown from the VP of officiating or even the referee uh, themselves on how they came to that conclusion on the field. At the end of the day, anything that's not in the rule book is under the referee's discretion to to do what they so choose with. So interesting. Fair enough. Thank you, Wyatt, for assisting me on that one. And now that we've got um college football um and the NFL well on their way, these write that down predictions coming off the board are probably gonna pick up a little bit. 
And uh, that's what we have in our accountability session this week with quite a lot of them. Um, first and off the board is I predict that at least 12 NFL teams will have a new starting quarterback week one of, um, of this season. Um, because uh, the, the coasts aren't giving me Davis Mills in, uh, in uh, Houston as a new starting quarterback, I only got 11 new starting quarterbacks instead of 12. So for that, I get a nah. Um, a long time ago, well before the trade deadline, Josh predicted that um, that Hader would um, convert four out of his next five save opportunities. And I assume, well, at the time, we all assumed this would not take until mid-September, but it did. It took him until mid-September to get um, five more save opportunities, and he converted exactly four of them. Um, so that Josh gets a ding, 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 ding. In one prediction I forgot to take off the board last week, Ariane had predicted that um, the Cardinals would close out the month of August with eight or less losses. They closed it out with seven losses, which is eight or less. So ding, 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 ding. Wyatt at the start of the season predicted that Texas would beat Alabama in week two, but then lose to UTSA in week three. Um, they almost beat Bama in week two. But they did not uh, successfully do that. So for that, why it gets a nah, nah, nah. Kyle predicted the Cyclones would start one and three. They are two and zero, oh, so that makes it impossible to start one and three. So nah, nah, nah. nah. But Kyle redeems himself for predicting that Scott Frost would get fired before the end of the season, which, as we talked about in the intro, he did. So ding, 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 ding. ding. I predicted the Cyclones do not get safety against Iowa, which they did not. So I get a ding, 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 ding. Wyatt predicted that Iowa would safety themselves, which we could argue about the wording on that all day, but there were no safeties in the game. So this can't be correct under any interpretation. <laughs> so, nah, nah, nah. And then Arian predicted that the Baker Mayfield revenge game would go in favor of the Panthers over the Browns. The Browns ended up kicking a walk-off field goal to win this one. So for that, Arian gets a nah. Nah. That is it for our long accountability session. As per usual, I will get us started putting predictions back on the board. I'm going to start by saying the Cyclones make it into the AP Top 25 at some point this year. I think they will. I do as well. Single. Yeah, single. Brown, any, uh, anything to sway us? I, I think it's more of a double than a single, um, but it's possible. I mean, the question is, if we win next week convincingly, do you think we'll be in? No, not yet. No. I think we would have to okay. beat Baylor. We'd have to be Presuming Baylor. we lose to Baylor, wins our next Who chance. lost to BYU, though. True, true. I'm just thinking through the schedule. If we lose to Baylor, how many games do we have to win to then get back into the top 25 or in it at all? So after Baylor, you'd have to beat Kansas. You'd have to beat K-State. Maybe you have to win. It would come to winning at Texas. Yeah, I think you have to win at Texas after that. Maybe it's a double. Uh, or you could, it's not a single for me, for sure. I'm going to say Personally. double. You I'm riding me. the line. I'm riding the line, but we can give that a double. I've also already put it on the books that I didn't think they would get into the top 25. So, I mean, I didn't uh, either, but beating Iowa puts you in a 
decent position. Definitely better than we thought. Yeah. So. Yeah, but no one's going to look at Iowa kindly as a no. good win. No. Not unless they step it up, try and score more than literally seven points. Yeah, that's not going to win a ton of games. But anyway, so double, is that what we agreed on? It's fine. I'm fine with the double. Double. All right. Anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Uh, yes, he's still alive, and he is um, doing okay even after that Packers defeat. Um, one thing the Packers were missing in that game was Alan Lazard. He had a, a leg injury and was unable to play. Josh says he will come back next week and score two touchdowns. He will play next week and score two touchdowns. Yep. At least two touchdowns or exactly two touchdowns? Um, let me see here. What does it say? I believe it said exactly two. Let me look. Does it, it matter? It says two touchdowns. Does it, does it matter? I'm not sure. A little bit. Uh, it is statistically, well, I don't know whether it's more unlikely to score exactly I mean, two or more than two. If we're saying that he's going to get three touchdowns, he's I'd, playing be the saying, Bears. I'd be saying like triple or home run. I mean, I'm thinking this is at least a triple. Yeah, either triple. Way. I'm already in that boat. Probably, probably a triple. But if it's three, I think that's more of a home run. Two or more said, is what we're talking about. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers does own the Bears, though. So there's triple, that to consider. I guess. But that Bears defense did look good. Granted, every defense could look good in that weather. Yeah. What was his I leg injury I guess I'll go as triple well? as well. Like, how likely is that he's even going to play? Right. That's fair, too. He wasn't particularly close to playing this week, it sounds like. So, let's see. They probably have not updated the injury report since. I don't um, think so. The last game, no. So, I'm, I'm almost leaning towards home run here. That's, I would put myself in the home well, run square. It, just, wait, is this a home game or an away game? Uh, I just was on the page. Give me a second. I mean, since they own the Bears, I don't know. If it is a home game. They're at Lambeau. So, if it's a home game, he does have a higher likelihood of playing than an away game because you get that extra day, essentially. Like, you have an Travel. extra day in your facility... Right, you're not having to travel. I'll so, stick with a triple. I think I'm triple. I'm home run. Uh, I guess I'll say triple. Triple it is. We don't have to break out the coin today. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to predict that Hunter Deckers will end the season with a better completed attempt ratio than Brock Purdy did in 2021. Purdy's was 292 completed for 407 attempts, which is about 71, 72%. Currently... Um, Deckers is right at like 71, 72% as well at uh, 50 for 69. You're just talking about completion percentage? Yeah, you made it really complicated to say that we're only looking at completion percentage here. I mean, that's what I said. I guess. There is a stat (laughs) called completion percentage, and uh, thanks for breaking it down for us in case we didn't know. Um, Double? I don't know. That's a lot. That's a high completion percentage. Double? I was leaning towards triple. That's a really high completion. I, I was as well. He's played well so it's, far, though. It only gets harder from here, though. True. He's got to keep it up. Although, in theory, we have played possibly the best defense we will see all year. And possibly the worst defense we've seen all year. Yeah. So, I'm fine with triple. Kyle, what about so, you? So, I have that Jirel Brock will have at least seven games of 100-plus rushing yards. So, he already has two. He'll get five more. In the remaining in the 10, games. ten games, so like, half of his next games, like a single. Awesome. I don't know about a single. I I would if you're gonna say that's a single, I'm just removing it off the board altogether. That's not a single. That's a that's a really good season. Um, 
yeah, definitely closer to a double. Maybe it's so hard to tell. It's so early not in the season. Triple. I don't know. That's pretty hard. I'll do it. I'll do a double. I'll go double. Definitely I'm not fine. a single for me, though. I'm fine with the double. Yeah, that's fine with me. And I also have 32. Some some Vikings Kool-Aid that I'm drinking, and I'm going to say that the Vikings are a three-seater better in the NFC. So basically, they'll win the division, and they won't be the worst team. They won't yep. be the worst division winner. Yep. Well, I'll, I'll defer to you, Mike. According to 538, let's see here. According to 538, the Vikings have a 51% chance of winning the division. 538 also actually projects the Vikings with the best record in the NFC right now. Um, so 538 is also drinking that purple Kool-Aid. I was going to say, I feel like that's a little bit of an overreaction it by 538. A little, little bit, yes. I'm probably thinking double here. I don't know. Probably double. Sure. In like the 25% chance range that this happens. That seems reasonable, right? That's fine. Not that this changes it, uh, your previous prediction, Kyle, but was that 100 or more or more than 100? Rocks it's yard. 100 or more. Okay. I was wondering because he had exactly it's 100, 100 in Iowa. Yeah, 100 plus. Okay. It's curious. Not that it changed it for me, but I was just wondering. Get our end. I am jumping on the train late because I don't think I've made this prediction, but I've been watching it as is everybody over the baseball season. I'm going to predict that Albert Pujols will hit 700 home runs before the end of the season. He's at 697. And I think so there's get, 20 games left. Yeah. So basically, he's going to hit one home run every eight game or seven games ish the rest of the year. That seems. What, I'm between do we a know single his, and a double. Do, do we know his pace this season? Like, how many home uh, runs has he hit? I think he's played games? in. I'm not 100% sure on that. He's not in the lineup every night, though. He basically pinch hits and starts against left handed hitters at this point. Um, um, let's see here. According to baseball reference this season, he has, uh, 18 homers in 90 games played 287 plate appearances. That's, that's a homer every five games. So he's going to match his pace currently. But, that yeah, I guess so. but, but is he going to play in that's 15 games this year? He right? play is he going to play in 15 out of the last 20? And he's, played in a, he's played in approximately 64% of the team's games so far, which is slightly under the third, or the, the 75% he would need to be on pace for this. But you got to think they're going to play him a little bit more if he's try close, to get right? Especially because they've got that division one handily, and they're also unlikely to catch. Their playoff seating is virtually assured at this point, right? Did you... Uh, tangent here did you guys see the headline about how the mlb screwed up their predictions yeah so and the they dodgers said the dodgers they... had clinched but they hadn't yeah, yeah. so that technically kind of if the dodgers lose every single one of their games and the Brewers win every single one of their games we're in the middle there's potential for a three-way tie the dodgers don't win their division and the padres would win their division yeah i've never wanted anything more after i saw that after they celebrated the uh yeah after they celebrated the playoff berth. Excellent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm thinking this is probably a double. Now probably. that we've gotten through all that. It's fine. Four doubles and two triples. That concludes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we're at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for dropping by this week's episode of the 8311 cast, episode 190. From now until next week's episode, be sure to check in with our social media pages at 8311 cast on Instagram and Twitter. 
Signing off for the 8311 cast are your hosts, Kyle Mersh, Mike Ludwig, Ariane Barry, and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones! Go Cyclones!